sometimes when you hear somebody sing a song, well, it makes you want to jump up on top of a pew, amen. <laughs> but other times, you're in stunned silence. And that's the way I felt while Christy was singing that song. Is the devil on your back? Not today. Not in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, not today and not ever in Jesus' name. Uh, sometimes our feelings don't match the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is, regardless of how you came here this morning, feeling, if you're a child of God, is the devil has no hold on you. Jesus has already won the victory. That's the reality of the situation. Now, our responsibility is to simply trust God with that reality and then be give, begin living out that victory that's already been purchased at the high cost of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Christy. Where you, she may already went back to children's church, but I'm going to tell you what, I was so just wow while she was singing that song. And praise the Lord. God's, you know God's give us so much talent in this church. I mean, just amazing uh, God sins and blesses and, and, and you know well let me just say it like this now I'll, I'll get to the scripture Isaiah 52 if you want to go ahead and be turning there there's so many country churches today, and we're a country church I mean we're way up here on highway 181 where you can look out and see Table Rock across the, across the hill there that are literally having to close their doors and God just keeps blessing and blessing and blessing here we're seeing people saved seeing people join the church seeing lives changed and you know what I say about that praise God this morning and that's because of you that you're willing to let God use you for his uh, glory I'm going to go ahead and just read the scripture this morning Isaiah chapter number 52 beginning at verse number 13 quite a bit of reading but we're going to get through it today Isaiah 52 beginning at verse number 13 remember this is one of those servant songs uh, that Isaiah wrote literally written as a song uh, Isaiah wrote, I think, about five of those things, and this is one of those that he wrote as a prophecy, as a prediction. God had revealed to Isaiah something that was to take place in the future, though Isaiah at the time didn't really understand what he was writing. He just simply was writing what he was led by the Holy Spirit to write, and then now in hindsight, because Isaiah wrote from yon side of the cross, that ugly side, that brutal side of the cross, that side of the cross that looked like the Lord Jesus had been defeated. He wrote from that side, but now we're on this side of the cross after the resurrection where we know that Jesus come out and victorious on the other side. Isaiah chapter number 52, verse number 13. Behold, my servants shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, 
He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened up your word this morning and read it, God, I pray that in a new and special and unique way, Lord, you would open up our ears, open up our hearts, that what was written here 700 years before the birth of Christ would take on a new significance for us today. God, in this passage that we've read this morning is the gospel message. The plan of God since the beginning to redeem mankind. And Father, I pray that you'd touch us, that if we would see that, Lord, we'd leave this place different than when we came. For the Christian, there'd be a new appreciation, a new joy, a new spring in our step. But Lord, for those that may be here that do not know Christ, it's a drawing, it's a, it's a picture painted of the perfect sacrifice that was made so that we could be redeemed. Help us to see that from these words right here in Isaiah 53 this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We talked last week about the great, greatest idea, right? That God's greatest idea, not in history, but in all eternity, was to redeem mankind in such a way that it would astonish people, a way that we did not expect. And we talked about that suffering servant, that how Paul later wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians, that I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In Galatians, Paul wrote, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
this cross, this suffering servant, the greatest idea ever in all eternity is laid out right here in the book of Isaiah for us to see. And as we lead up to this Easter season, as we gather, as we build up steam, pushing towards the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer for you is that in this chapter you'll see uh, the greatest idea laid out for you that's ever been. And I said that on purpose, for you. This idea was for you. It was also for me. Thank God for that. It was for the world. Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. We looked at four characteristics or began to look at four characteristics last week of this greatest idea. The suffering servant that God would become flesh. And we talked about the proclamation of that servant. Right there in Isaiah chapter number 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And last week we talked about how there's going to be a lot of bad come after this, but right there in the beginning of this servant song, it's as if God is saying, I know there's some bad things going to happen, but don't get too excited because he's going to rise out of this thing victorious. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Reminds us over there in the New Testament when Paul wrote something like this, that at the name of Jesus, not now, not 700 years before it happened, not at the cross because there he would be crucified and spit on and tortured and beaten and have his body pierced but later every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the things that I tried to tell my children growing up was something like this. It would be much better if when I tell you to clean your room that you would just put a smile on your face and go in there and clean your room and be happy that you got a clean room because the fact of the matter is you're going to have a clean room and you better do it willingly with a smile on your face because whether you do it willingly with a smile on your face or whether you deal, do it with me with a belt whooping your hind end you're going to clean your room well you've got an opportunity this morning when you walked into this church you can confess him as Lord this morning bow the knee to the creator of the universe do it willingly and reap the rewards of that or one day you'll do it unwillingly but regardless you will do it He's God and he doesn't need my permission nor your permission. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Amen. Well, that's what he's saying right here. He will be exalted. He will be lifted up. Hey, it's going to be to the point that he people will be astonished. Hey, they did so much to him right there in verse number 14. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. They did more to him than any other person to disrupt his mission, but not only that, to disrupt his life. They beat him to the point that people couldn't even recognize who he was. But I like chapter, verse number 15. Listen to this. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now you know on Sunday nights we've been going through uh, 1 Corinthians. And right there in 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1, chapter number 2, chapter number 3, God says it time and time and time again. 
that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. This may not make sense to you this morning. It may seem like foolishness to you this morning. You may be wondering what in the world is that crazy preacher talking about this morning. But the fact of the matter is in the wisdom of God before the foundation of the earth, he had already declared and proclaimed and crucified Jesus Christ in his... Now I can tell you right now that I'm going to go out there and start my car and get in my car and drive to the store. And you better not put any money on that thing because I might fall down walking down these steps and break my neck and I don't make it. Listen, somebody might be standing outside the door out there with a pistol in their hand and they say stop and I'm going to stop. I might get in my car and put the key in that thing and turn the ignition and it don't start. I might take off down there and somebody run me over and I never make it. But when God says something has going to come to pass, it's as if it already has come to pass so you can take his promises to the bank this morning so long before you and I were ever created God crucified Jesus in his heart and in his mind and he crucified him from eternity past why because of right here what Isaiah was writing in chapter number 52 and we can take it to the bank this morning sprinkled many nations Genesis chapter 9 right over there we went through this God said the life is in the blood. And I know people don't like to talk about that today, but I thank God this morning that he sprinkled the nations with his blood. Why are you and I here this morning? That promise that God made Abraham over in Genesis chapter number 12, that in him all nations of the world would be blessed. Who's that nation? That's me. That's you as we gather here this morning. Many, listen, Jesus didn't have an army. He didn't have an entourage following him. He didn't have battle tanks at his disposal. He simply lived a humble life and God, because he was obedient to the mission that he had sent him to do, exalted him in due time. Well, there's something here about me and you. The Bible says over in 1 Peter that if we'll simply humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt us in due time. The key to being exalted by God and lifted up and raised above and where we can fly and soar like eagles above the problems of the universe is simply humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's what Jesus did. He sprinkled many nations with his blood and God, because he was obedient and did. The night before Jesus was crucified, do you think that if there was any other way, he wouldn't have took that path? I mean, there was so much pressure on him that he was sweating as it were great drops of blood. And he said, Father, if there's any, any other way, let this cup pass from me. But the key to that passage, church, and listen, hear me, and hear me well, and I don't always get this right. It's the key for my life and the key for your life. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What's the key to the most successful life on this side of eternity and on that side of eternity? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He changed the world. As we gather here this morning, I know people like to complain about all that's going on in the world. I do it too. But church, we live in the best time in the history of the world. I mean, any one of us, I doubt that anybody hasn't eaten a good meal over the past day. Jesus Christ literally changed the world. He was the seed. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the spiritual. And thank God for that. That's the most important thing. 
But because of Jesus Christ, he gave rise to what we now know today as Western civilization. Where literally the most powerful force, the most highest priority is the sovereignty and the divine image of God of each individual. Do you know how unique that is in the history of the world? It's only about 250 years old that this thing's been tried out of all the history of the world. And that started right there with Jesus dying on the cross and imparting divine, uh, 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 not wealth, but value to each individual. Regardless of their birth, regardless of their wealth, regardless of slave or free, regardless of their race, whatever that is, Jesus Christ said that every person, not just the king, not just those in power, but down to the lowest slave, have value before God. And because of that, we get this thing called Western civilization, our body of laws and all of that, that gave rise to today. You can sit in an air-conditioned building, a heating building. You can get in a car and drive around everywhere. That's unique in the history of the world, the freedoms and the luxuries that we enjoy right here today. And that all started because God had a plan through the Lord Jesus Christ and he said I put my image in each person and I'm going to show you what that looks like through the life, death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. We, one of the greatest problems we have in America today, it's not our politicians, it's not our laws, it's that we're not grateful for how God has blessed us. We're, we are not grateful for all the blessings that have been bestowed, no matter where you're at this morning, one thing I can promise you, you go back about five generations to your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents or whatever that looks like, and you are better off than they were regardless of what your circumstances are this morning. I'm going to tell you something simple to prove this. Imagine getting a toothache 250 years ago. I'm going to tell you, a toothache hurts. You had to endure that thing. You had to get you a hammer and a chisel and open up your mouth and somehow pop that thing out of there, whatever the case may be. And you did not have antibiotics to prevent the infection that almost surely would come when you used dirty tools to do it. Well, because of Western civilization, which started with the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got all of those medical miracles that we enjoy today. And most people won't be grateful for that, but will complain because they didn't get to watch their favorite TV show on that tube that people ought not be watching so much of anyway. Amen? The proclamation of the servant, he would change the world. Number two, the perplexity of that servant. Look what the Bible says here right here in chapter number 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You see, this suffering servant that has been proclaimed is also perplexing. Why? He didn't look like what everybody wanted. 
I mean, the Jews wanted somebody who was going to come in riding on a white horse with a sword in his hand and he's going to take on the Roman government and he's going to overthrow them and he's going to set up a king there in Jerusalem and they were going to rule and they were going to reign like back in the days of David. But instead of that king that would come with a sword, they got a savior, the Lamb of God, who would shed his blood and it perplexed them. They did not understand what was going on. Well, we're kind of like that today. Now, we don't need a king. You and I pretty much didn't have anybody tell us what to do this morning. But I submit to you that a lot of Christianity in America today, we treat God like a genie in a bottle. Kind of the same thing. I mean, we want him when we want him, but when we don't want him, leave us alone. Now, I get that call from the doctor, and he said, mm, that test didn't go so well. Oh, God. Oh, God. But when my pockets are full and things are going good, God, just stay off my back. Things are going good. See, even today, he's a perplexing Savior. He doesn't look. You see, it says he was like a root out of a, a tender plant. He grew up. I mean, nobody knew who Jesus was. He was born of a, over in a little village called Bethlehem. The Bible says that he had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God. He grew up just like any other person. I mean, there's wanting somebody that right off from the very beginning, he's going to be somebody that's going to be winning American Idol. I mean, he's going to be out there in front and everybody would know who he is and he'd stand out and stand above. And he grew up in anonymity over there in Bethlehem. Nobody, a tender plant out of dry ground. Who would have ever expected that the Savior of the world would come from this little nation of Israel that at the time of his birth was totally under the domination of a foreign power. They could not even govern themselves. I mean, they were expecting somebody that would be, their, well, an M1A1 Abrams tank kind of thing, their white stallion at the time, maybe a chariot. And Jesus comes in, hey, he's got to walk because he's too poor to drive a car. Amen? And I didn't have cars back then, but you know what I'm talking about. Hey! He was poor. He wasn't what they expected. And he perplexed them. And I submit that even today when we don't see him for who he really is, he's perplexing to us because we want something different than what God has given us. We want a genie in a bottle. They wanted a warrior king. The Bible says that he, there's no beauty in him. He is despised and rejected of men. Well, we know that today. How many people today, uh, thank God you're not one of them, that say, I love Jesus and know that the word of God says that we're not to fail to assemble ourselves together after the manner of such is, but yet they found something better to do today than be in the house of God with God's people worshiping him. Now, the easiest person to lie to, you've heard me say this, is not you. The easiest person on the face of the earth for me to lie to is me. And I can say I love Jesus, but yet I'm not going to be obedient to the word that he purchased with the, his blood. I can say that and lie to myself. But the fact of the matter is when I do that, I'm despising and I am rejecting him. It's going on still today. And that's tough to say in the world that we live in because we live in this world where from the time that we're born, parents teach their children, do whatever makes you feel good. If it feels good, do it. Follow your heart and all that mess. Well, I don't want to follow my heart. My heart's wicked. 
I want to follow what thus saith the Lord in the word of God and not despise him and not reject him. The Bible says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we rejected. Uh, we esteemed him not. Now I don't believe that means that Jesus was sad. I believe it meant that he experienced a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain and, and he saw as he looked like he looked over at Jerusalem and he, he wept for them. The good news is that the Bible says over there in the book of Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him. You see, he looked past the sorrow, he looked past the grief, and he saw the joy that was set before him, despised the shame. Yes, he didn't like it, but he went to the cross anyway. What was that joy that was set before him? That joy that Jesus saw when he was marching up that hill, when they were nailing him to that cross, when they were spitting on him, when they were ridiculing and mocking him and torturing him, that joy that Jesus saw was me. That joy that Jesus saw was you. He saw men, women, boys and girls somewhere out in the future, places men you cannot see, that would be redeemed and that gave him enough joy to endure whatever was coming. You've heard me say before about Frederick Nietzsche. I know he gets a bad rap because he wasn't a believer and all of that, but he was still a smart man. And he said something like this, He that has a why can bear any how. Now you stop and let that sink in and think about it for the next 30 years and we might be getting somewhere. He that has a why can bear any how. What was the how? The cross. What was the why? Me and you. Hey, We've got a crisis in this country. It's not a crisis of political malfeasance. It's not a crisis of, uh, 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 of, of governmental politics. It's not a crisis of not having enough money to do this and do that. We've got a crisis of not having a why anymore. And because we don't have a why anymore, we can't bear any how anymore. Hey! When we've got a why, what's the why that one day I'm going to stand before the presence of God and I want to be able to hold my head up and say, I did it your way. That's my why. And if I have that why, something greater than myself, I can bear any how in the here and now. That's a crisis of meaning we've got in this country. We've told our children and we've spoke it in our churches and we've said it in our schoolhouses for so long that people ought to try to be happy and, and try to have some kind of fulfilling life alone. i tell you something, happiness is a pretty shallow goal in this life. It's fleeting. It does not last. There is tragedy. There is sorrow that comes. The best uh, mode of living in this life and the here and now is have a meaning, something greater than ourselves. And when we've got that meaning, we can bear anyhow that comes our way. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. And that perplexes people. He looked out there and he saw the joy that was set before him. Not only that, the perplexity, hey, he confuses people even today, the passion of the servant. And I'm going to hurry up and get done. Y'all read this so many times, you know it. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. This is literally the heart of this passage. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It reveals to us what sins like all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The New Testament explains it like this. 
For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 1 Peter chapter number 3. It also says in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that when him we might become the righteousness of God. The, the message of the Bible is quite simple. It's laid out right here in uh, Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before our shears is dumb. So he opened not his, not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. What is that message? The most fundamental. God made you. God loves you. He's graceful. He's merciful, but he's also just. And in his justice, sin must be punished. And he did that through laying that punishment on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his mercy. So he satisfied his judgment when he poured out his wrath upon Jesus. And he did that because of his mercy. So his mercy and his judgment, which are in conflict in our view, the way we see it, was all satisfied right there on the cross. I'm going to say it like this and then I'll move on. I do this a lot at funerals. Most of you have seen me do it, but I'm going to do it again this morning. Uh, just say this hand right here represents me. I'm going to tell you what, wicked me. And this book right here represents my sin. It's my record book of sin. Well, I'm going to tell you what, it's a big book, but it wouldn't hold all of my sin. And as good as you think you are, it wouldn't hold all of your sin either. I mean, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It said that our heart's deceptive and wicked, and we can't even know our own heart. And this thing right here wouldn't even hold all of my sin, and i got to carry that thing everywhere I go. And I'm going to tell you what it does, it weighs me down. And every time I get to thinking about it, there's shame and there's guilt. And that, that guilt and that shame, it weighs me down and i got to carry it. I can't get rid of it. I can sling it. I can try to run from it. I can try to hide from it. But it follows me everywhere I go. And eventually it weighs me down so much, so much that it leads me all the way to the point of death because the Bible says the wages, what I owe for that sin, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And i got to carry it, and it eventually destroys me all the way to where I'm dead. Now, it's not just talking about a physical death. The physical death is nothing. That wage called death that we owe is a spiritual death, separation from God forever and forever. Over there in the book of Revelation, chapter number 20, the Bible says, Whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. That's the one that really counts. Well, I carry that. Well, let's let this hand represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the story. He's dying on a cross. But I just said to you that he was perfect. I said to you that he had never sinned. He was the Son of God. But I also said to you that the wages of sin is death. So if Jesus had never sinned and the wages of sin is death, why in the world is he dying? That makes absolutely no sense if the wages of sin is death for a person who's never committed a sin to be over here on a cross somewhere hanging on a tree dying. Until we look at it from what Isaiah 53, the chastisement of our peace is upon him. Our iniquity is upon him. All of our sin 
is upon you. You see, this record book, this thing called sin that you and I carry around, it's a weight around our neck that, that pulls us down all the way to the point of death. When Jesus was on that cross, he was wounded. Well, let me back up. He, was, he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. All we like sheep, we've turned to everyone. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not. He is brought to a lamb to the slaughter. He was taken from prison and from judgment. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. God took your sin, my sin, and the sin of the whole world and placed that record book, placed the punishment, placed the guilt, literally, listen to this church, literally placed the sin. He became sin. It's not just that he took our sin. He literally on that cross became your sin. So when God looked at his son, he saw my sin. He saw your sin because what? My sin, your sin was hanging on that cross. It was hanging there in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but the good news is he bore the guilt. He bore the shame. He took the sorrow. That's why Isaiah uses those words. That's why our iniquity, our shame, our chastisement, all of that was put on the Lord Jesus Christ and it weighed him down all the way to the point of death. I'm not going to get through with this message this morning. But I want to tell you something, church. When he took my sin, it left me to stand clean before a holy God. And that's good news this morning. No matter where you are, no matter what situation, Jesus took your sin, took my sin upon himself. And if we'll simply receive that gift, it leads us to stand clean before a holy God. Do you know what? That ought to cause you to smile. <laughs> hey, that's good news. There's a lot of bad news. Don't you turn on the news and look at that, what's going on in the world. Hey, I've got some good. We sure could use a little good news today. Well, I got some. It's that the Lord Jesus Christ took my sin, your sin upon himself at the cross to leave you and I to stand clean before a holy God. Now, in your mind, you can't picture what it's going to look like on judgment day. Neither can I. But I can tell you this. I'll sure tell you this this morning church I'd much rather stand there being covered by the blood of Christ than to stand there on my own merit amen amen so I'll take that as good news this morning and listen if you're here today I'm not going to get past that matter of fact I got a lot more to get in that point right there but that is literally the passion of that servant we looked and we saw the proclamation we saw the perplexity hey he's still confusing people today we try to make the gospel way more complex than God ever intended it to be. But then in that heart of that passage, we see the passion of the Lord Jesus. Passion for me and passion for you. He was willing to take it so far that he took the wrath of the creator of the universe upon himself so that you and I could be redeemed. Wow, that's good news. I couldn't take that punishment. Matter of fact, I didn't even like getting whipped by my daddy. I can't imagine what it'd be like getting the wrath of God poured out on me. But for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That's for me and for you. He had that much passion. Now, the juxtaposition of that is I can have all the passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and it's not going to do one thing to earn me my salvation. I simply accept that. It's a gift 
given. That's received by faith. But the fact of the matter is, if I receive that gift, I'm going to be passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, and I'm going to close with this. In our nation today, we've got this idea that if we simply make an amendless sin that I believe in Jesus, that we can be saved because of that mental ascent. But if all it takes is to be saved is simply utterance of a few words out of my mouth, that's a pretty shallow form of belief. You see, my belief is indicated by my actions. As a matter of fact, I don't even know what I believe myself. The only way I can truly know is to watch what I do and then evaluate my actions. And only from that can I make a clear picture of what I truly believe. Because I lie to myself. And you will tell, I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. You get the picture. If your life doesn't look like a Christian, it's because you're not a Christian. Don't listen to what the world tells you or these feel-good preachers out here that want to make you feel better about yourself than God intends you to. If it doesn't look like it, it's because it ain't. That's old country boy language right there. Let's stand up. The question is, Jesus was wounded. He was bruised. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we can be healed. Now, I want to say this as Terry comes. When God saves a person, there's a process started. And that process, the technical term is sanctification. I look at it like this. When you throw some clothes in the washing machine, the instant the water comes on, they ain't clean yet. I mean, that agitator's got to start to work and that thing, it throws them around in there and they get to sloshing and shaking. And after a certain amount of time, they come out on the other side and they're clean. So salvation simply means that that process starts taking place, that agitation. So that doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It simply means that the process of cleaning you up to the point you look like the Lord Jesus Christ has begun. That's what it means to look like a Christian. Not that we're perfect, but that we're marching that road that it takes to get us there. So we ask ourselves, I'm on that road, am I looking like a Christian? If not, come be saved today. I think the second thing, point we can get out of that is, is Gratitude ought to lead us to obedience, not compulsion. That's really the message of what I've said today. But simply out of gratitude, we ought to say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to follow you and be obedient. Well, in your life, I don't know what that looks like, but you do. So if the Lord spoke to you and said something, whatever that may be this morning, out of gratitude, say, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. Whether that's being saved, serving, Committing to Him, whatever that looks like, the Lord spoke to you.
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this young man that's come today. Lord, that uh, wants to be a part of the family and wants to serve you through the people of God here at Zion Baptist Church. God, I pray that you'd lift him up, that you'd uh, give him places of responsibility and places of service. And then, Father, that you would use him for your glory, that men, women, boys, and girls would come to know Christ. And then, Lord, I simply pray that same thing for the rest of us. Use us that we might lead people to Jesus. And in and through that, the world could be made better. In your name we pray.